Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking League, your weekly NRL fantasy podcast. Welcome back to the fantasy game plan, uh, week one of the trials in the book. My name's Jason. I'm joined by B. B, mate, how are you? Yeah, going good, mate. How good was it to have footy back for the weekend? Yeah, it was awesome. It was great to see uh, plenty of reactions there on social media, lots of uh, ref bashing already and accusations of bias, which you know the season's back when that starts up here, don't you? Yeah, that's all Warriors fans, right? Allegedly, no. There was there was a fair <laughs> bit of it, and I'm sure we'll get into that when we cross that game. But uh, no, really good to have the trials back, uh, some footy back, and you know, time to do some reaction to that. So in this particular episode, we'll react to the Talking League Live Draft, which of course took place on Thursday night. We'll have a look at our emerging issues this week, which is around player ownership and as well analysing the trials. We'll, of course, review the All-Stars match and all the trial matches. And then, of course, accountability time. We'll have a look and see what's going on with our squads so far. So, of course, as well, we'd love for you to follow Talking League across all the social media channels for more information and banter. We are Talking League Pod at TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And Talking League One on Twitter slash X. You can, of course, find all our information at www.talkingleaguepod.com. In terms of what's happening with the podcast episodes over the next week or so, uh, it'll just be a TLT reaction with TK on Tuesday, but last week, of course, we had the Storm Panthers Eels and the live draft, which we'll talk about more in a second. And lastly, the Talking League Podcast Cup. It's now available to join, so open comp free to enter with a fantasy ring on the line. All the details will be available in the episode notes, but the league code is 47RTSYKW. Alright, B, we'll start with the live draft, of course, Thursday, which was your first experience being the Talking League live draft. Overall, how do you think you went? Uh, I did all right, but it seemed like I, and it always happens in draft, but you feel like you get snaked in that one pick or two pick just before you, like you've got your player that you want, um, and you know that the next drop off in that position is going to be astronomical. And that happened to me about three times for halves. Um, first one was Cameron Munster went off the board just before I was going to get him. Uh, next was Jamal Fogarty, who I thought I'd get in the fourth round, went in the third um, and then yourself taking Sean O'Sullivan on me about two picks before I was going to get him. I think it was the only F-bomb that got dropped in the entire podcast. I think Andy did drop one in fairness. Oh, did he? But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. So you're, you're off the hook there. But it's really funny because I think I was the same in relation to how I thought I performed. I was just that slight bit weaker in the halves. So as I spoke about in the latest edition of the Mercado, which, of course, available on the website, came out Saturday morning, was I pick four. I was really worried because I had 13 picks until my next pick that all the hookers would disappear off the board. So I wanted to give myself some insurance in case we did have expectancy theory roll through those whole two rounds before it came back to me. So I went way early on Brandon Smith. I had Jerome Hughes locked in. It was just those couple of picks before me, like Marshall King going off the board, uh, as well as obviously Grant and Cook were already off the board. I was like, I just need to get in, get one. That way I can just go for any halves in the next two picks. And you know, Jerome Hughes went to uh, Rich, which was a great pick to pair up with uh, Adam Reynolds. But in the end of the day, I got Matt Burton and I got Sean O'Sullivan, who should be first choice halves for their teams and should do relatively well. But yeah, not as flashy as the Monsters and DCEs out there. So yeah, pretty competitive experience with uh, 10 coaches in there. Have you made any dives into the RFA pool uh, post draft? I have actually, because there was a couple in the last like um, the last three rounds, I guess that I was like, oh, it could be, couldn't be. Um, so I've ended up taking a punt on Tom Starling. Uh, got him in after I did a couple of changes off Billy Walters, um, which was you know just a panic pick because he was a dual position on guy, a guy that I needed. 
but I've gone Tom Starling instead of him because I think he looked quite good in the trials out of the three hookers. Um, and surprisingly, I didn't realise Dave Clemmer went undrafted. Uh, so I just I quickly snared him up as well. Yeah, I, I like those picks. It, and again, it shows with those later picks in the draft. Like if you get them wrong in the moment, you can just dive into the RFA when you've got an eighth or 10 team lead. There's going to be someone in there available. I haven't made any changes yet, but we'll probably talk about the Raiders later on. Zach Hosking was my 16th round pick. He was more just a free space because I've got that many dual positions or potential DPPs that that slot in my bench will be vacant for any decent options that pop up. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go with that one. You will laugh though. So on Saturday, I did my Dynasty League draft uh, with my mates up here in Brizzy. Have a guess at who I got in the first round when I was picking at pick number five. Isaiah Yo. Bingo. You got Isaiah Yo. You're still on the board. Like, as I said, I'd pick him three if I wasn't going Harry Grant in the first round. So when he was on there, I just thought I'd just take him up. So, yeah, be cheering on Isaiah Yo in draft. I probably won't have him in classics. So at least I've got a bit of sadness insurance there if uh, Yo decides (laughs) to turn into a 70 average mid. So we'll roll into our merging issues this week, B. So. They, we did cover them last week when we are talking about you know the lessons we learned from last year in relation to player ownership and analysing the trials. So on the player ownership side, we'll look at two plays and some examples around where we want to be careful with going for pods and doing the anti-pod strategy. So in an article I wrote last week in the Mercado uh, called Majority Rules, I went through every single play that had an ownership of at least 17.5% at the time of writing. And most of them, look, it's probably not going to matter whether you take them or not. There's a few auto picks in there, like your Papenhausen's, your Curran's, your Piakura's, more on him later. But you want to be very careful around players that you any pod in that 500 to 750k range that have quite a high ownership. And the player that really stood out to me when actually putting that article together was Ruben Cotter, because I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on his projection this year. I've only got him at a 47.48. Do you see him going maybe potentially a little bit higher? I think he's going to go a little bit higher, mate. Um, I think that the, there's a bit another year goes by that Taumalolo's aging. Um, they haven't really made any changes that four pack. And he's, when the Cowboys stunk last year, that's where I feel like Cotter's minutes were, I guess, managed a little bit more. Whereas when they were doing good, that's when he was scoring in those 50s and sometimes 60s and just being a defensive weapon. Um, with Cotter, I think people need to cast their mind back you know, 14 months or whatever it was, he was 744k going into the 2023 season and people were still buying him. And now he's 587 and you're having second guesses. That to me is a little bit silly and I think he's just a lock-in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I wanted to put forward to the listeners is I'm not super high on him, but the thing is, is I'm seeing a lot of coaches that, you know, are active, know what they're doing, dropping him in. And we know his ownership skyrocketed because of the co-captaincy announcement, but that's the point that you you put forward there, Bees. He could be a 55-plus average player. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. He's got all the qualities to be able to do it. And for me, I've managed to slot him in this week, and we'll talk more about that at accountability time. But it's more just ensuring myself against the fact that Cotter could pop off, he could jackpot and become you know that 750-K player again. And he's just not really a player that's too expensive to be able to fit in. So... Is there any other plays in that range with such high ownership that you are concerned about not owning at this stage? Uh, not really, because I guess if they're high ownership, then they're high ownership for a reason, and it's more than likely that I've got them already. Yep. Um, so I think the, the mid-range guys that are going to be popular, like your Currens, your Cotters, your Sean Bloors, Pia Kouras, uh 
Brandon Smith, although he didn't do much to endear me for, um, to have in my team, especially watching Connor Watson play, which we'll get into, obviously, in the Roosters game. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, apart from that, yeah, there's no one who really sticks out where I'm like, oh, I need to have that mid-ranger because everyone else has him. Yeah, and then another thing as well with Cotter, like I pointed out in the article, he was playing hurt leading up to Origin anyway. He had, was it an MCL or meniscus issue that he got in about round three or four? And obviously slowed him down a bit and they managed his minutes throughout the season. So plenty of value there. He's just one I'd be careful about anti-potting. Now, in terms of taking pods, where I like to take my punts being, you're probably the same, is in your cashies because if they don't fire, you don't lose too much cash, you can just pivot to the next one that pops up. And I feel like Keanu Kinney could be the example this year because we know he's got a buy in round two, which probably means his fullback you know, ownership at the moment is only 4.96 at the time of recording. People assume Brimson will play fullback. He was interviewed today saying, no, he'll be playing center. Campbell is injured to at least round five, but has no mortgage on the spot. And Keanu Kinney averaged about 53 in Q Cup last year. In his first full season in Q Cup as a 19-year-old. He's very fast, fastest player at the Titans. With someone like him, he might have a limited opportunity here for maybe, say, three or four rounds. But is he someone you'd be more likely to take a punt on because he's so cheap? Uh, I am. I I think it. Dep- you're, you're right with Jaden Campbell not having a mortgage on the jersey. I think he will get the spot because he's seasoned. He's re-signed there. His dad's a legend at the club and everything like that. So he's worth having a, taking a risk on for Keon Keeney, even if it is only those three rounds. The other reason I bring it up now that I think it's even more imperative to have him there is a lot of people are going on wing fullback. They're going very cheap. Everyone's got Pappenhausen, and then everyone's relying on these Raiders cash cows to actually fire. And I'll tell you what, Chevy Stewart, great defensively in the, in the back. And again, we'll get into the Raiders game. But he made me so nervous to have him my 17 that... Um, I already had Keon Keeney on my bench. I've swapped them around. So now Chevy, Chevy Stewart's in my emergencies because I trust Keeney more than I do Chevy Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. And in the Titans podcast, I recorded a rich will bit hesitant in that stage about putting Keeney in. But the thing is, is round five is the indicator at this stage. Like we hope Campbell's recovery goes all well and he's back around round five. But that could stretch out even further. And I feel like Keeney could be a player that if he has a decent game to start with, you know, bangs out like a you know high 30s, low 40s in round one, obviously the buy in round two, and then has another decent game like a 35. At that point, we may not even know when Campbell's coming back. And if you don't own him, you're not going to be able to you know, buy him with any confidence, are you? Yeah. So just as I guess a little, I guess it's just a, a random number that's getting thrown out there. But if Keeney plays three games and averages 40, he will make you almost 100 grand. So if, if Campbell's back in round five, so counter, to, counter for the buy, he could still make money as long as he's firing. And, mate, his draws are actually pretty juicy. It's St. George, then the buy, then the Bulldogs, and then the Dolphins, then the Cowboys, then the Raiders. So if you can keep it for six rounds, mate, he could he could easily make you 100, 150K. Yeah, absolutely. And all you need is one outlier game where he goes off the chain gets a couple of line breaks or try assists. And the thing is, he's really, really fast. He's faster than Jojo Fafida and uh, Lofiana Camperera and their stats that were recorded at the start of this year. So he's absolutely rapid. So he just needs half space and three goes. So I like the risk on him because, like you said, even if Campbell came back in round four and it didn't work, it'd be similar to Trindle last year where we go, all right, we got you know, maybe 100K out of him and we can move him on to a cheaper player. And with the positionless bench, that player doesn't have to be a winger fullback. 
Yep. You can also think about it that if he does make that 100 to 150K, it's almost a straight pivot to Jaden Campbell. Yeah, exactly. You know, or even better, it might be a cash down, uh, depending on how it goes. So just want to keep an eye on there, folks. Don't be too worried about that round two buy because we're probably not taking too many Titans. So having one red dot looper is probably not going to be too harmful after one round. You should have 17 green dots or even 18 if you want to do a loop. So... But we'll jump into our second emerging issue this week, and that, of course, is the trial analysis and how to take stock of what happens in the trials. So what we want to see in the trials, we're looking for insights. We're not looking for you know dead set conclusions because you know, there's so many mitigating factors. We've got players unavailable due to all-stars. We've got players being rested. We've got players that are suspended, unlimited interchange. It's quite hot and humid. We've got drink breaks, which basically means most of the games have quarters instead of halves, which means the game's slower. The game is slower than a normal NRL game because it just is. And then as well, we have the mismatch in strength that teams posted, not helped by Vegas. So I think it's very important for coaches at this point to not throw all their good research and good homework away uh, from preseason because just because someone goes bad in a trial doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a bad fantasy player. Yeah, totally. And I think it's more, more so the first ones are looking at who will potentially reach out and take their opportunity. So there's a few players that we've seen who have done that, but there's also certain players who might not have played well, but you know they're going to be there in round one. So um, the game is totally different. Like even just the All-Stars game, if you're taking stock in that one, that's such a left-to-right, right-to-left game. There's not as much in the middle. So don't start panicking on the guys who you've picked in your mid saying, oh, they're not making many tackles. The game is totally different. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, All-Stars, which probably is a good time to jump into reviewing that match, which was won by the Indigenous All-Stars 22-14. to 14. So we'll start with the conditions just to you know, put a perimeter around our analysis. So Townsville, it rained pretty much all day before those matches started. There was the women's match, of course, before that, which was also won by the Indigenous All-Stars. And we had quarters set for that one, like we always do with All-Stars, rolling subs, and we got players coming from all sorts of different clubs. Uh, like, obviously, there's some combos like uh, Tricky Trindle and Nico Hines for the Indigenous All-Stars, who, you know, Tricky was obviously Preston Campbell uh, winner with 34 points. I thought he played pretty well. I think, as someone who's not going to own Nico, that the way Tricky played bodes well for Nico's fantasy scoring because Nico scored a 60. I don't think he was that remarkable, but it just means that Tricky is that much of a threat that opposition defences have to respect him as a legitimate option, and that should open up Hines to find more gaps in the defence. Yeah, I think people take too much stock in how many kick metres is going to be taken from Nico, And that's just a very small part, especially when they change the rule from 20 metres is one point to 30 metres is one point. You've got to kick so much more. So even if Tricky takes 100 kicking metres off Hines, that's literally three points off a guy who had 73 average. And so he goes down to a 70. Um, I liked the fact that you had Trindle in there with Hines, so you could see what the combination would look like potentially at Clubland. And you saw Nico kicking goals. So I, me, as a Hines owner, I was actually fine with this. Yeah, and I think you should be. like, I'm not going to take him because I'm just saying I'm going to be able to make it work. But if I had my eyes on him, I wouldn't be changing my mind. At the end of the day, he scored 60 in a game, which wasn't really a high-scoring game. That shows that he has enough physicality to get you some tackles, a couple of cheap TBs and OLs to still end up with a decent score. And uh, He was goal-kicking. That first one was an absolute shocker off his boot, but then he found his range after that and drilled them. But we look at the rest of the key assets from the Indigenous All-Stars. Hamaso Tabuifado looked pretty sharp. 
I mean, 564K is quite a fair bit for him. We do know he's still available at Santa, which if he's at fullback, that could work out quite well. But do you think for fantasy coaches, it's going to be very hard to take a player that not only has a buy in round three, but assuming he makes origin, he has a maximum game attendance this year of 21 games? Yeah, when you when you can spend like an extra 18K and get Will Panasini, who's going to play so many more games, and doesn't, like, Hammer always relies on tries and attacking stats. Now, if they play him at fullback, yeah, he might get those. If sent, if he plays centre, he might be limited because he can go to both sides. So I think it's just a bit too much of a risk. And the tiebreaker for me is that round three buy. Um, I'd be I'd be spending up a tiny bit to go on Panasini or even a Valentine Holmes um, who can get you to that first round buy. Yeah, massively. And we sort of alluded to it before around the middle forwards. So Jermaine Hopgood, he scored 38. Adam Elliott, who was on an edge, scored roughly about the same. You know, do you think that just kind of tells fantasy coaches to not worry too much about what these middle forwards scored in this match? Yeah, well, Adam Elliott was playing on an edge, so at night he plays lock. So he's playing a totally different position. So um, I, I still like Adam Elliott, actually, as an option. Uh, I can't quite fit him in at the moment, but um, I still think he's a good option. Everyone's got Josh Curran. You know, he played on an edge, scored in the 30s. Is, is everyone rushing out to sell him? No, they're not. You know, he's got, he's got a role where you feel like he's going to get the 13 for the dogs um, and know his fantasy pedigree in the past. So, you know, I don't think it changes too much. No, it shouldn't. And look, I'm not massive on Hopgood. Paddy isn't either. We spoke about that on the draft special. But again, if you are locked into them and you like the look of them, I wouldn't be taking them out of your team unless it's to balance out elsewhere. We'll move to the Māori All-Stars. And Joseph Tarpano, he was the star, 80 and 49 minutes, including a monster try, which I think was five or six tackle breaks from memory. He always carves up uh, in All-Stars. I feel like the Māori Ford pack is just physically a lot bigger than the Indigenous All-Stars pack. You have a look at it on paper, and there's always that massive gap there. But I've noticed that Joseph Tarpano's ownership has jumped up 1% from about 2.5 to about 3.5. Is that an overreaction to someone just dominating in a one-off game? I think so. Um, and seasoned coaches know what Ricky Stewart's like with his forward packs, and he just cannot be trusted. So for me, I would then start looking at your notes from your other games and potentially spending up on a player that has made his way into my team before the games and is not going to leave. And I'll allude to that, but you're wearing their shirt. Yeah, for sure. We'll certainly we'll get to that because obviously we had some more news that makes that a bit more solid. But thinking about Tarpano is, right, I owned him last year. He was one of two players I held the entire season. The other one was, of course, Tommy Talao, who was just a bit of a cult hero by the end. But Joseph Tarpano, at the end of the day, he did what it said on the tin in terms of average to what I paid for him at the start. Unfortunately, there was a lot of cheaper players that outperformed him, which wasn't ideal. Now, I think the thing with Tarpano is we've got a few factors here that would make me very nervous about owning him in Classic. I mentioned Nabium and Dynasty Draft, which I'm thrilled about. But the Raiders, we've got lots of cashies, right? So we know their first buy isn't till round 10, but their next buy is round 14, which, as we spoke about last week, B, those minor buy rounds are very, very taxing because you are relying on your origin stars backing up. And as well, there's actually three teams off and you need to field a 17. If we look at round 14, we have the Raiders, Roosters, and Dolphins. There's a high chance that there's maybe one or two Dolphins that become relevant at some point, like we might want to go down the Herbie Farnworth uh, part because of them playing the three major buy rounds. The Chooks, you know, we might be into Teddy at that point. We might still be holding Cheese or Satili Tupanua or Joseph Suali'i, more on him later. Before we know it, we've got four or five players from just the Dolphins and the Roosters. 
We look at the Raiders. We're hoping Jamal Fogarty is the real deal if we have him and he's good enough to keep for 14. So we want to hold on to him. And then maybe one of these cheapies, we might just want to hold just a little bit longer. And then you've got five or six players out in round 14. I know it's a long way away, but from a forward planning perspective, taking Tarpany is almost setting yourself up for a little bit of trouble for that round 14. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're going to be getting those gun scores up until, you know, everyone's going to have, a lot of teams are going to have a buy up until round 13 anyway. Yep. And a lot of people move on from those guys. Like everyone moved on from Harry Grant for a while because he was going to have that stretch where he wasn't going to play any games, but he was at a high enough price to get the next best person who's going to suit your buy planning. The same thing would be with Joseph Tarpany is you get, get him to round 13 and then you could potentially move him in round 14 if you need to, to field a team and move to someone who you might like a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I just think with Tarpany, having held him last year and I was, like I said, Relatively happy with him because he I held him the whole season and he missed four games. But round 15, that might be the time to acquire him. We don't know what the mid-crisis is going to look like in round 16 because last year it was very dicey. But at that point, he'll have two buys in the shed. He's a Kiwi, so he can't play Origins. So from round 15 onwards, all going well, no suspensions, injuries, or anything like that, he could finish the back end of the season like he usually does quite well. And round 15, uh, he could be by the round. Yeah. It, again, I, I think it's going to be a trap for a lot of coaches to forward plan too much for buys, yep. uh, for the, that buy period from round 13 through to round 19. Uh, last year, mate, I started planning my buy team in round eight and just worked out who I needed because I had extra trades that I could potentially use because you get up to the four trades. Um, and it's just it's so important just to pick the best team that you can possibly field under your salary cap and then you can sort the buy stuff out later. Absolutely. And there's, of course, another factor as well with Tarpany. Corey Osborne is unavailable the first two rounds, so that might mean extra minutes, extra responsibilities. So just be careful diving into Tarpany if you weren't already keen on him already. So the rest of the Māori team, no one else above 50, which again points to the scoring. Now, we sort of said there before about Cheese not being super inspiring, but I did see something in the notes which was quite interesting around the stats. So he got a 33, which in 60 minutes isn't flash. But he had 93 run meters, 86 of them from dummy half, and he averaged 63 from playing hooker last year. Do you think this is just a performance limited all styles, or this could potentially be maybe a slightly sharper cheese that might run a little bit more this year? Yeah, it might run a little bit more. I tend to look at the Roosters' draw, and I'm, it's not the easiest draw, but Brandon Smith's a quality nine. What makes me a bit more nervous is obviously how Connor Watson performed in that trial. Because I think Connor Watson will get that 14 role. And then does Connor Watson play, you know, 35 minutes off in, um, in dummy half and Brandon Smith substitutes for Victor Radley in lock where we know he doesn't score well. Um, there's just, there's so much unknown in that Roosters forward pack and it just makes me a little bit nervous. It certainly does. At least with the Roosters, they do play in Vegas. So we'll have a fairly clear idea as to what shape they're going to have in terms of that 17 and the 18th uh substitute player but I wouldn't be too worried if you're still sort of in on cheese or maybe I'm just saying that because I own him not only in classic at the moment but in two drafts and leaning on him quite a fair bit but player we're probably not going to own from round one is Xavier Willison Uh, he does look like a really really good talent and he had a nice try scored 43 in 24 minutes but this stage probably going to be a little bit too early in terms of being a little bit too far down the depth chart at the Broncos yeah I think so especially with their acquisition of Fletcher Baker um, I know Tom Flegler went, but 
I thought Corey Jensen was fine in his in his um, his match. Uh, you know, Payne Haas, Pat Carrigan's going to lead that forward pack. Then you got Fletcher Baker to fit in there. You got Kobe Hetherington to fit in there. And it's it's going to be just one of those. There's too many mouths to feed. And whilst he's a good player, does he have the minutes to actually? really get any substantial scores to make you any money. Um, he's one who has left my team, uh, which we'll talk about in the accountability section. Uh, just because, yeah, whilst, whilst he was great, I just don't think the minutes are there for him. Yeah, I can't see them being there. And like you said, like he's going to probably need at least 30 minutes of PPM to even make any cash, and that wouldn't be quick cash. And of course, Marty Tupper also played and looked pretty sharp today as well. So that's another player who's got to get around. Uh, we saw Jack Howarth. Uh, he's not a myth. Uh, he was out there for 43 minutes, and you could see that he has quite a fair bit of talent uh, for 26. Probably not going to play around one, so we won't too much about him. But in terms of my highlights, uh, best moment and worst moment from the match itself, the pregame ceremony was outstanding as always. I really love seeing uh, the war cry from the Indigenous team and, of course, the Haka uh, from Maori team. Very enjoyable. It was actually pretty funny at one point. Hamaso Tabuifado came on the screen, and it's considered insensitive, in my understanding, to sort of cheer during the Indigenous war cry, but there was a couple of fans in the stands that cheered when Hammer came on the on the screen, which was pretty funny. And then my worst moment was Matt Timokol, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, he got a pass from Cody Nikorima, uh, had the try line there, and then just flat out just didn't catch the ball. So uh, un- unlucky there, Matt, but uh, a nice, enjoyable game and, and one that should be a staple on the calendar for years to come. But, B, let's get to the big one. We're going to go back to Thursday when we were drafting, but we w- went back and had a bit of a look at this one. Bulldogs and Storm down at Belmore. Uh, Doggy's getting the win 24-12. Now, I might just sit back for a few moments here and let you harp on about how good the Doggies were. Uh, well, we were drafting, so I didn't get to watch it. Uh, so, <laughs> I, um, yeah, look, I think it was it was a very interesting first half because the Dogs had two like two-thirds of the possession and were still behind at halftime, <laughs> uh, which made me a little bit nervous. But I think that the young... Like, Reid Marnie came out and was basically saying the young forwards really had a red-hot crack in the second half, and that's where it started looking good. Um, you obviously got heaps of notes here on certain players who potentially can be um, fantasy-relevant, but, um, look, it was it was good to see. It was good to see a win because I didn't get to see too many of them last year. Uh, and, you know, hopefully they can carry that kind of form on through, even throughout the trials just to get combinations. Uh, I thought Drew Hutchison was quite good uh, steering the ship, and then when Toby Sexton came on, even though it was against essentially reserve graders, he looked good. Uh, Reed Marty looked unreal, and he's found his way back into my team. Uh, yeah, it was just a good performance, I think, and um, yeah, it's one to build on. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there's nothing wrong about playing well in trials. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. And yeah, I thought Hacho was really good. You know, he's 400k. We'd like to see him get that starting jersey. And you know, there was an interview before the match, which obviously I didn't see at the time, but I watched later on, where Cam Serrato said that Hacho was getting first look, but he was referring to the trial as opposed to round one sort of in terms of for this match where we've got Burton next to him, we're going to have him having first crack, which we could could imply is him leading the race for round one. Do you think that's the case, or do you think Toby Sexton uh, still has that, considering he was the incumbent from last year? I think it's very in the air. Um, I My personal opinion is I think Sexton still gets first crack. I think he combined well with Burton with no preseason, like when he came in. First, first round, he offered something in defence. Uh, took a bit of pressure off Burton. It was in that Rabbitohs game, and he just he he brought something to the team. So bring a full preseason. He's a bit younger. He's got competition for spots rather than it's just being given to him now. Uh, so, but I do I do think Sexton gets it, and that's 
why Hutchinson is not in my team right now and begrudgingly why I still have Kyle Flanagan. Yeah, we'll have both at the moment. So, yeah, that's one to watch. We'll see what happens next week. That might give us a bit more of a clue. Now, Sam Hughes, he looked very impressive. A try ruled out for obstruction, although he probably knocked it on anyway. At 250K, you've just got to have him somewhere in your 21, don't you? Yeah, well, Phil Gould did the exact same thing last year with Jacob Preston for us. We'd be silly not to listen. And Jacob Caraz came out in an interview as well on a podcast saying that Sam Hughes is the one who's impressed everyone with fitness and he's a big body and we know Bulldogs are missing middles. Uh, we'll get obviously into Liam Knight a little bit later. And I think Sam Hughes Sam Hughes could have a dead, shot, dead set shot at starting, honestly. I thought, I thought he was really, really good. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's a massive human being as well. I do remember it. Suncorp last year at Magic Round. We were in the corner where Xavier Savage scored that first try. We were in the front row there. So it was TK, Andy, myself, and uh, we were just we we're asking Sam Hughes if you get Carl on because Carl up who was, of course, on the bench. So maybe he may not be good for us in fantasy as a bit of a revenge because we quite pestered him a little bit there in the corner. I think it was all, all PG at least because there was kids nearby. But, yeah, Liam Knight, I said it on the live draft audio at the time. His first touch, he literally dropped the ball, which... He's got an error in him at 385k. Look, it's probably going to be the minutes there for him, but are we a little bit concerned that if, say, Sam Hughes usurps him, that Liam Knight might struggle to make a lot of value? I think it's a worry. Sam, Sam Hughes is 140 grand cheaper, and you can literally go up 20 to 30k and get yourself like a Satili Supernua or uh, potentially like a Raymond Fatala Mariner if he starts on the edge for the Dragons. Um, there's too much risk for Liam Knight for me. Yeah, and, and a fair shout-out here to the amateurs as well. They did point out in the podcast a couple of weeks ago that we're all going to take Josh Curran, who will be the 13. We'll take Sam Hughes because we think he'll be somewhere in the pack. If we then take Liam Knight, we've got three of them, which, you know, that's sort of cannibalizing. I know there can be assurance in terms of, you know, if one gets lots of minutes one week, then the other one we'd have to worry about. But it does look like loading too much on the same team in the same position. So just one to look out for there. Now, Charles Skelton, he was very impressive. as should remind us about 6,000 times during the live draft, but you know, in all seriousness, he looked very good. But 350k, is he going to get in front of Karaz or Adokar for a wing spot? I think you've answered your own question there, mate. He's not. He's And he, even he, could, he played centre in uh, Q Cup as well, and I don't even think he's in line for a centre spot. Um, if they're saying Blake Taft's going to get that fullback spot, then he's going to be, be behind Stephen Crichton, Bronson Zeri, and Connor Tracy. So he's going to take a lot of injuries for him to get a spot, I think, unless he comes on as a utility back row. He's got the size for it, but I don't think that's even a logical option either. No, not really, because we saw Jamin Salmon. He played quite well. He was playing 13, but you can just see that he's got the skill set. We know the, all the weak gutted dog comments, but he has plenty of skill, yeah. and he'll be perfect on that bench to either come in and backfill in the middle, which we think that'll be Kurt Mann's job, but even still, he can jump onto the edge to, to backfill for kick out. Is, is there a world where they actually pull the wool over our eyes and put Josh Curran at prop and play Jamin Salmon at 13? That could happen. I don't think that would matter too no. much for Curran as long as he gets the minutes. No, but but if it does, then Jamin Salmon's an automatic pick in your side, right? He would have to be. I think whoever is the 13 is going to be in your squad somewhere because yeah. they're not going to be expensive. Like, there's not many, too many expensive dogs players. No. So, Jamin, Jamin Salmon would get dual position then as well. Yeah, he would, which is edge. I believe he lost his half dual position in the offseason. Right. But even still, like, probably not going to be super pent up for halves. It would be nice to play him as a starting half, but that's all right. 
We'll have a look there as well in relation to Bronson Sherry. Nice finish for him and, and good for him to get his journey back to playing competitive, uh, competitively at the NRL level underway. Moving across to the Storm, probably not too much to write home about here. Obviously, Ryan Pappenhausen uh, got a run out, which is good to see. He was dead king to play, which is great signs. Got a tackle bust on his first run, uh, which I actually did see when it happened. And he put a nice try for Aramia. Got that try just on half time off that kick from Pezzett. But basically, because his ownership's too high, they don't really have to read too much into him unless he's not named to start round one, right? No, exactly right. If he's not 50% ownership by round one, I'm not here. He, If he's playing round one, and I think he will goal kick, I think it's just this was just to get meters in his legs. Yeah. Um, I, I can't see him going below 50. He's just too quality to have, not to not have in your side. Exactly. And that round four buy is somewhat manageable anyway. You can just shove a wing fullback in there and hope for the best. But Jonah Peasant, he looked quite all right. Uh, 48 points at losing side, plenty of kick meters, uh, lots of good creative play. Of course, we're going to have to wait for there to be an absence in the halves for him to even become semi-relevant. But just one to keep on on your mind because you never know in 12 months' time. I, I'm not too sure what his contractual situation is, but you know, if there was a team looking for you know a new halfback, they could make him a little bit of a improved offer and try and steal him. So... He was good, but we'll move into uh, Saturday. Bit of gossy good times uh, with the double header here at Industry Group Stadium. Say with the Knights and the Sharks. The Knights winning against a weakened Sharks team, forty-four eighteen. Christian Mapabalangi uh, concussed on the first tackle of the match. It was a pretty gruesome one, and more bad luck for him. So hopefully uh, he recovers well. But unfortunately, that'll be it for the trials due to the eleven days stand down for him. Dylan Lucas, he was super impressive. He had two tries, but. Did have the interview from Adam O'Brien before the game B here where he said that Kai Pierce Paul will be in Fiji when they take on the Storm next week for the trials and featuring. So that probably guides us to think that both these two will be in the 17 and thus uh, sharing 80 minutes between themselves. Yeah, I think so. And I'm pretty sure I saw something where Jackson Hastings made a comment on Kai Pierce Paul basically saying, you wait until this guy gets on the field. He is special. So if he's playing outside Hastings on that left side or right side, depending on what they actually do with Frizzell, um, I think it's just I think it's too much of a risk, especially when you can get guys who are the same price or cheaper in the same position. Yeah, like unless he still had center dual position, he's probably not going to be on a radar unless you want a depth player on your bench and draft. But speaking of Rizal, do we expect him to play AD this year? And if so, do we expect that to be all on an edge, or does he potentially slide into the middle at some point? No, I think he plays AD on an edge. Uh, I think he's too quality. It's not like he's looks like he's d- declining. To me, uh, and they've got good young forwards there. Like you've got the Saifidi brothers, you've got Leo Thompson who can play thirteen, uh, Matt Croker who played thirteen on the weekend. Uh, you know, if worst came to worst, and you could do a Tigers move and put Jackson Hastings at the thirteen if you needed to fit Cogger and Gamble in there. You know, I don't think there's any need for Frizzell to be playing in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Just want to keep an eye out for when. He's in the team next week. Now, in terms of the rest of the Knights that are of note, Tommy Jenkins uh, spent a bit of time on the right wing, so he's probably leading the race there. And then also at centre was where he racked up his points. A nice offload into a try assist for David Armstrong. He got two tries. Absolutely rapid there on the right wing. So one for your black book there. Probably not going to start round one. Will Price, yeah, he looked pretty sharp. I mean, again, playing against probably New South Wales Cup standard opposition. But plenty of uh, good footy IQ there. Great step. Uh, was hitting the goals pretty good as well. So one we can keep an eye on for, but 400K is probably not going to play over Pong or all those halves. And Jack Cogger, 620K here is priced out in classic. But 
is he going to be somewhere in that 17? Because the way he looked on, on the weekend, I know it's just a trial, but he looked incredibly polished. Yeah, well, he's come from a Penrith system. He's learnt from the best, hasn't he? So um, he's one to keep an eye on. I still think they run with Gamble. I think Gamble complements Hastings a, a little bit more. And what Gamble did for that side last year, I think he was one of the main ones responsible for making that finals push for them because of the attitude, before, because of the, I guess, a little bit of grubbiness, the competitiveness that he had. I, I, I really liked what he brought. Um, unless they play Gamble at 14, which... Oh, they could, I guess, but I I think Cogger might even be the 14. I know Crossland would be the 14. What am I thinking? Well, Braley... Braley's has, out. Yeah. yeah, he's got that hamstring injury and was racing the clock for round one, apparently, which, of course, gets an extra week because they're not playing in Vegas. So something to keep an eye on there for the Sharks. Again, a very inexperienced side compared to the Knights team that was rolled out. So Kyrie Rowe had limited opportunities, so I wouldn't take too much stock in how he went, but probably going to see him round one anyway, so almost irrelevant. Much the same for Jaden Beryl. He played quite well. Uh, nice little try backing up from Oregon Kafusi was also quite good. Uh, neither of those probably going to be too much of a fixture for round one, but a player that might have a bit of interest uh, around fantasy coaches is Cam McInnes. So he's priced at 704K, which is about a 51, but he was everywhere in that 30 minutes he played, uh, making a lot happen. And there's a couple of issues that look like they're about to appear here in this pack. Obviously, Toby Rudolph's got that systemic toe issue. We've got some chat potentially around Brandon Hamuueli being unavailable for round one. If he ends up starting lock next week with Dalfinukin in the team and then also does that in round one, is there going to be some incentive to potentially try slot him in somewhere? I see the temptation for it, but I also see the... Uh what, what's the upside of him? Like Maybe he scores like 50 to 55, but there's still the job security issue of when those guys are back. Again, to me, I would either spend up a little bit. Like You only have to spend up you know, 30K, you get a Tarpany or a Tohu Harris, or spend up 80K and get a Cam Murray, or spend down 20K and you can get yourself a Scott Sorensen, who's a dual position. Yeah, and as we found out, a pretty decent round two pick. And the other thing of McInnes as well is that Nico Hines, if you own him, that's two players that are quite significant value out in round five, sorry. Uh, so that's something you probably don't want to put yourself in. But, yeah, just one to keep an eye on. Any great pick for McInnes. I think he got him relatively late now, live draft, and he ate him last year. So I, I think he'll do good for him as well. We'll move into the second game at Gosford. So Roosters taking on the Seagulls, 36-22. to 22. Now, Roosters had a bit of a stronger side out, which reflects in the scoreboard. James Tesco, he looked sharp. It's good to see, especially being a New South Wales uh, supporter. But, you know, whether you go for him in, in Classic is completely up to you. No buyers before Origin, so there is that up your sleeve there. Terrell May, uh, after the Bulldogs have decided they're not going to pursue him, he's decided he wants to be the best uh, bench forward in the world. Jesus Christ, it kills me, honestly. Anyway. <laughs> he's so good, but... He's uh, so good. He's... It, he, he almost has a ceiling of, like, a, a Haas normal game, honestly. Like, Payne Haas is obviously much better. I'm not comparing them to the two, but yeah, of course. he's got those attributes where he, he could be Haas in, in, like, a, in an average Haas way, if you know what I mean. Oh, he's yeah. just so good. I'm spewing with not offering him any money anymore. Anyway, yeah, looks, we move on. Yeah, it looks like the Sharkies... And the Dragons would be fine, though, on that, which I know if I was uh, choosing for those two teams, I know who I probably wouldn't choose. But he's an interesting one because we saw it in the finals last year. When the game matters, 
Trent Robinson trusts him. Gave him the big minutes off the bench, and big minutes, he scores quite well because he does have a tackle bus in him. He does have an offloader in him. We're probably not going to go near him in classic from round one, but is, is he someone that we watch once Jadwiri Hargraves is back and sort of see where those minutes fit, and then if they are pushing closer to 45-50, we might have a bit of a nibble? Yeah, you have to. it has to be an eye testing because you've also got Spencer Lino to play as well. So there's, it's, it's again, it's the, it's the Roosters forward pack. They are just so talented and there's just too many mouths to feed for them to become elite fantasy guns. So I, I've got him in a couple of different draft leagues uh, because just no one was taking him. Uh, but yeah, I think he could do worse, but definitely not one for classic just yet. Yeah, just yet. But just yeah, one to keep in mind. Sammy Walker, he's back out there. Good to see him out there. Wasn't kicking goals at a great clip, so that's quite concerning. But Silly Tupanua, like, I didn't see an awful lot of this match, but he did start on the edge, which, again, a lot of the media that we had seen indicated it was between Crichton or Tupanua to start on that edge, obviously with Nat Butcher on the other one, and he did get the start. He also had a nice try. It was more through the middle. Uh, it was a nice hole run, though, which is what Silly Tupanua's trademark is, a nice hole run off, off usually Victor Radley or a half. So at 421, if he was named to start round one and we only saw... Angus Crichton, two middle forwards, and then like a Connor Watson or a Sandon Smith, would he be a goer? Yeah, he has to be. He's a dual position guy at 421k. Uh, he's in my team currently. Uh, none of the Roosters' edges impressed me uh, for who were fitting that spot. And I, I did the write-up, obviously, for the Talking League um, game where it was going to be between Sia Wong, uh, Satili Tupanua and Angus Crichton. Angus Crichton came on and was pl- came on for Victor Radley, so he's playing in the middle. So all of a sudden, I thought, okay, well, he's probably not going to be a goal because he'd be playing in the middle. Tupanua pretty much played on the edge the entire game. Yeah, he did go to the right, I believe, for a tiny bit while Crichton was on the left. Um, and Sia Wong played on the right only, and that was when Nat Butcher was off. So I think Tupanua is leading the race for that left-hand side just purely off those facts. Yeah, and looking at his stats when he's starting the second row, he's about a mid-40s, so close to a slam dunk as you could probably get in that Roosters pack, especially with that dual position. They play in Vegas, so we've got a bit of certainty, you know, come that one-hour kickoff as to what his starting position will be. Uh, in terms of the rest of the Roosters, Dom Young, uh, unfortunately taken to Gosford Hospital after a pretty nasty, a beat, looked pretty accidental uh, tackle from Tove Sipley. Now, News, record, News Corp have reported probably about an hour before we've jumped online here uh, saying the following, further examinations revealed the damage to be more severe than initially suspected. And at this stage, the injury is so severe that it may require surgery. Now, we don't know any more than that just yet. And we don't want to speculate because, of course, this is you know, someone's medical history. And, of course, with Dom Young, most of his family lives over in the UK. But he's probably going to miss a fair bit of football if the injury is this severe, which probably means that Billy Smith, who was locked in on that left centre, he'll stay there, but it may bring Joseph Suwali into calculations after he probably just slipped out. We know he averaged about 50 on the wing last year, and he should take the goal kicking with him because he's much better than Sam Walker. But does this make him relevant in Classic again? A hundred percent. It's honestly, as soon as that news broke, and thoughts with Dom Young, because I think he's fantastic prospect, uh, for the Roosters, uh, and with obviously the plays that the, the caliber of play that they are losing the end of the year, I think he's going to be instrumental for that team moving forward. Um, but it, you know, Suwali outside of Joey Manu, Joey Manu is considered one of the best centers in the game. It's such good real estate to be outside someone like that who's also not 
selfish as well. Like he, he'll be happy to pass the ball if, if that's what the situation requires. Uh, he's a dual position player, obviously a fantastic pickup for draft if anyone gets him, and that's a self plug right there. <laughs> um, and I, I will, I will most likely go Joe Suali'i over Will Penasini if this, if this is what comes to fruition. Yeah, and we should know probably in the next fortnight or so before that match kicks off as to what it looks like. And as we know, Roosters plays play in Vegas, so we'll have some probably certainty as to what's happening at least at the start. And if you know, hopefully Dom Young is back soon. But if the talking surgery, it's it's not looking good. So they're going to be and knowing the Roosters, you know, as much as I don't like the Roosters, like any sensible person, they are very very careful when it comes to medical issues with their players. They really do care about their welfare. And I have no doubt that'll be the exact same here for Dom to make sure he gets all the care he needs to be able to uh, not only heal up, but then be able to come back and play on the footy field. Now, Toast Sipley, he is looking at a three-game suspension if he takes the early guilty plea, which I imagine he will because it was pre-textbook of pressure on the neck. Could open up things for Nathan Brown, potentially. Now he's now in the game, having made the top 30, 384K, which he had about five Price points sliced off his price due to that negative 12 and 1, ironically, against the Roosters last year. But historical PPM of 0.75B, is there a world where he gets that 45 plus minutes he needs to be fantasy relevant? There's a world. Uh, I thought he was super impressive in the game. Uh, the, the t- him and Ben Trebojevic, I thought, were quite good um, as pretty much the only fantasy relevant manly players that we have in the game. Uh, there's a world where I guess you could also put Jake Trebojevic at prop. He's played there for New South Wales. Why can't he do it at Clubland? Especially if Sipley's out, you're going to need one of those middle forwards. Um, and Nathan Brown's a very polished 13, I think. For 384k, I think you can do worse. Um, I do think there's better options, uh, like your, like your Satili Tupanoas, who are only you know 30 grand more, but have a bit more job security, uh, dual position. A lot more going for them, I guess. So, but definitely one to watch. And then also seeing how long Sipley's actually going to be suspended for. Yeah, for sure. Because the next three weeks, they could just decide to promote uh, one of the other middle forwards into there. Because I think LOEA is pretty much good to go now. So, shouldn't be any issues there. And like you said, you know, Manly players, they play at the start, which is good in that first week. But problem is that we have 13 of our 21 squad lined up in those four teams. Uh, we might have a little bit too much concentration there or we might not have enough yeah. salary to actually be able to get all those options in or a cash cow that's better than Brown pops up and we can't take them. So only other thing to note on by Manly is Ben Trevojevic didn't do an awful lot, but we know Schuster uh, was unable to get any minutes in this one, which means he's probably in doubt to make it on the plane to Vegas. So much like Sam Hughes, as long as Ben Trevojevic is named to start in round one, we're going to stick him in our squad somewhere. Yeah, you have to. At the end of the day, you're clamoring for for back rowers or halves who you can get in the centre tag. And even if they're not that great, they're going to get your minimums 25s, 30s. Whereas if you go someone like a Nick Cottridge who's 11 grand more, might get you a 10. Or Tommy Talao, your mate. <laughs> hey, no Tommy Talao slander on this podcast. But you did mention Nick Cottridge, which was a really good uh, segue because we'll jump down to Netstrata where the Eels took on the Raiders. And, of course, the Raiders had a, on paper, much stronger squad, particularly looking at that forward pack and got the win 38 points to 16. So quickly going through the eels here, probably not too much to say in relation to this side. In the outside backs, I thought Sean Russell looked quite sharp. Uh, so he should be on that right wing. So a nice little dual position probably for your 16th, 17th pick in a draft scenario. I don't think he's going to exceed in price too much. And Bailey Simonson, I thought on the left, 
center position looked quite good as well. Nice try, uh, jumping up in that aerial contest to get that down. Now, if we say jumped off Will Penasini and took Suli'i as that most expensive center, I know Bailey Simonson didn't shoot the lights out last year, but he is slightly underpriced. Would there be any incentive there, given the dual position? I had a tinker with it today, actually, um, to try and get like an extra 100k if I wanted to go from a Cam Murray to a Payne Haas, for whatever reason. And Bailey Simonson was pretty much the only one in that sub-500 that I was going to really trust. Um, I didn't pull the trigger because I do like the analysis that we've done on Will Penasini, and I think he's going to be really, really, really good as long as Mitch Moses is playing. But I think he can do worse than Bailey Simonson. And just watch what he did at centre for Parramatta as opposed to his highlights on the wing for both Parramatta and Canberra. Yeah, definitely. And a player that might actually boost him even further is Sean Lane. He only played 30 minutes and didn't have an awful lot of runs. But with him, he looks fit, which is great to see. And we just ideally want to see him next to Dylan Brown next week so we can get a better gauge as to where he's going to be, right? Yeah, I think so. I think fantasy's dogged us in um, putting him up that five points. Because um, you, you were saying Satili Tupanua being a slam dunk. Mate, if, if Sean Lane was five points undervalued on this that is a slam dunk. Unfortunately, it's not the case, and I can't quite fit him. Plus, we've got such a plethora of edges uh, that, you know, it's, it's one to watch, though. If he's firing under Dylan Brown, maybe I'll try and find the extra 60K to get him. Yeah, well, you can't get him in draft because I've got him, but if you want to put in an overinflated offer, I may consider it. Uh, the only other yeah, the only way I'd do that is if he gets the half tag. Well, you never know. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. I remember when James Gavitt had winger fullback and... Uh, Socio Tokiahu also ended up with wing a yeah. fullback tag back in the day. So, stranger things happen, but probably not this time. Uh, Ryan Madison, he could probably be one that could get the halves tag, considering he's played there a fair bit in his uh, NRL career. He was pretty busy, looked quite good, basically a point per minute in that first half. Interesting to see where he sort of lines up in that pack, but that Parramatta forward pack should be pretty strong because you think it's going to be laying on one edge. Probably Bryce Cartwright deserves to be on the right edge, considering how well he was last year. Hopgood probably starting in the 13 with Bolo and Campbell Gillard in the 8 and the 10. And then on your bench, assuming we're going to have a 80-minute uh, hooker, you've got, what, Offhand Gowie be in the mix somewhere. You've got Madison in the mix somewhere. Winnemar Greg was actually pretty decent last year. So it's going to be a bit of a battle for minutes in that power pack this year, I feel. Yeah, I think so. And that's also what um, kind of put me off getting Madison in draft, that and the big red cross that's still on his name in the <laughs> in the game, and everyone's saying he's out for eight weeks. I'm like, I'm sure it's not, but anyway. Um, look, Maddo's a quality player, and it doesn't matter if he starts or if he's off the bench. As long as he's got that 60-plus minute roll, then he can be an option. But again, at 701k, mate, spend the extra 80k and get Cam Murray. Yeah, definitely. It was great shit out of from Rich saying that, because obviously he was named in the trial, so he couldn't be out for eight weeks. But yeah, uh, yeah along it, with Shooter throwing his tricks. Honestly, I was talking about taking Madison, and yeah. I didn't. But I did take Brian Toto when I got scared, so I was all right with that. Yeah, that was, yeah it was replaced a good pick with a good pick, so that's not too bad. Uh, looking at the Raiders here, we'll start with Nick Kotrick. Uh, wasn't that flash on the right wing? That Trisis was pretty good, though. Nice instinct there, just put football forward there for... KO Weeks, who I thought looked pretty decent, uh, very active, like didn't kick an awful lot, but he was active in defense. He was you know, putting plays in positions and you know, probably has that running in the six, which is kind of what the media's alluded to thus far. And if you want to take any stock of those jersey presentation photos, Ethan Strange was in the seven with Jamal Fogarty in the photo. And then we saw KO Weeks with Hohe Papuru of all players uh, there in the six. So 
they both look pretty good. So, I mean, we've said it before, whoever's named at six is going to be an auto pick, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. And I think that the way KO Weeks played is essentially a compliment to how Fogarty plays. So with with uh, Ethan Strange doing a lot more kicking, kicking the goals, and KO Weeks just literally running the ball, no kicking, um, I think that's how it's going to translate into first grade. Yeah, definitely. And I thought Weeks, it kind of looked like he'd been coached by Ricky Stewart. Of course, Ricky Stewart, a very, very good half in his day. Looks like he's given a bit of confidence to go out there and say, look, I don't want you to play fullback. I want you to come here and play six and put your best foot forward. And he's doing that thus far at 252k. Look, doesn't need to shoot the lights out. He can just be a winger fullback scorer for us with that dual position. Now, speaking of winger fullbacks, Chevy Stewart didn't offer too much in attack. It's just a trial. Defensively, he looked good. Like I think Sticky would have been very happy with you know all the communication, being in the right spots. But are we a bit concerned about starting him now after seeing that run out? Yeah, well, we alluded it to it in when we did the Keon Keeney piece. Is that his? It makes me nervous to have him as not even just in a starting seventeen. You have to have him as a starting thirteen um, in, in that one fullback spot and just. What he offered in attack wasn't as flash, And this is, again, a perfect example of Q-Cup versus NRL. Even though this is a trial, it is a totally different game. And the fella, he's still a bit smaller, still young. So I've currently got him in my number 20 spot uh, because I just I am scared to death of how he is going to essentially perform. And they don't even have an easy run. But Keon, uh, Keon Keeney, he's got the Dragons first, whereas who do the Raiders have first? Knights. Knights, yeah. So the Knights, you know, Knights beat them in the in the semis. Um, Knights can be a good team. Who else have they got after that? Where are we? Fixtures. Oh, they got the Tigers after, but then they got the Warriors and the Sharks and the Eels. So that, that makes me nervous for an attacking output for Chevy Stewart. So it's, um yeah, if, if he's starting, you buy him. It's as simple as that, but... I'd be very, very careful on relying on him to being in your scoring team week in, week out. Now, I'll throw a scenario at you because we're obviously pretty keen on Keeney at this stage. Do we need to take a fifth winger fullback to play so we can play them instead of Chevy in round two when Keeney's on the bye? Or is this where Joseph Suali comes into play because if Ben Trevojevich is semi-decent, we can throw him in the centres. Do we then just bring down Suili into the centres, uh, sorry, into the wing of fullback for just one week? Well, this is where dual position is so handy, essentially, if you need to move things around. Um, I'm personally already starting Trevojevic in the centres, so I'm kind of putting my eggs in one basket that he is going to get that edge spot. So I've got Chevy Stewart on the bench, and currently, and I hate having Nick Cottridge there, but I do. Because <laughs> um, I also need someone who's dual position for centre cover. Um so, yeah, at the end of the day, if you can work your team around it, but cash cows are so hard this year, and in the positions that we need them are even more hard. It's the year of the mid-ranger this year, I feel. Yeah, massively. And a player who could potentially be a cash cow is James Siller. He was incredible. So, of course, probably mentioned on the coverage at Fox Sports about a million times, but he's Brett Mullen's nephew, so got the pedigree. We can tick that off. So he started on the right centre. And they moved across to the left, and that's where he got that try assist off that Danny Levi kick. More on that in a second. And then that try from the 20-meter tap where he just burns Axini, uh, a favorite of ours, uh, onto a great score. Interesting, he played both sides because we had that interview with Seb Chris in the Canberra Times probably about two, three weeks ago where he said, look, I think it's between Schiller and Hopawati. 
to backfill me in week one. If we're going off the effort on Saturday, Schiller's got the race to hide up. But is this looming as being a trap if Schiller is named left centre? Because it's unlikely that he would shift from centre to wing in round two, right? Yep. Whoever gets named at left centre is a trap. It's, it's as simple as that, because Seb Chris is going to that left centre. They've got Chevy Stewart as a fullback and potentially Xavier Savage, even though he did play on the wing, obviously. Um, but I think if if it's Schiller or if it's even Ethan Strange, and everyone's, everyone will just jump on it because they're so cheap. But it's a trap. Seb Chris is going to play there. Tomoko's going to play on the right. Um, and then Rapana's got one wing spot short up, and then there's a battle for left wing between Hopawati, uh, Kotrich, and... Potentially Xavier Savage as well, I guess. So yep. I don't I don't see those other guys getting in the team. Yeah, I don't either. So yeah, just one for fantasy coaches. Just be very, very careful about that because Seb Chris is suspended. He's not injured. We know he'll be back round two. And it's quite clear he's going to play left center for all the coverage we've seen. He's not going to be at fullback. So did re- refer to that hockey assist from Danny Levi uh, earlier. That was probably one of the better things I saw in the trial. Completely dropped the ball, and his first instinct was, I'm just going to throw my foot at it, and it went into the lap of James Schiller, who chucked it out uh, to Jed Stewart, uh, Ricky's son, to dive over for a try. So, interesting to see where Levi looks up next week. Now, another thing we'll probably go on in this game is some news we got uh, late in the week from Fox Sports. James Hooper reporting that the Raiders are in the box seat for Luciano Lelua. Does this just completely obfuscate what's going to happen with this forward pack if this deal goes through? This makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> As soon as he came out, but I think they also prefaced it with it that he was going to the Dragons. I think that was what the, the picture said, um, and then the uh, the headline was uh, Raiders favourite. So, God, I don't know what's going on there, but I don't see him landing in Canberra uh, with with what, the, what they've got there. I, just, I don't. I, I see the Dragons make so much more sense because there's that edge spot that could be taken by a Raymond Fatala Mariner, Tom Eisenhuth, or Dylan Egan. And none are really world beaters right now. But Luciano Leilua on his day, he's pretty good. He is. And he's a Dragons junior. So I think it'd be fantastic to have him back there. He was very promising before he moved off to the Tigers. So, yeah, we'll just we'll see what happens there. Uh, I believe in our draft, uh, Paddy took a bit of a swipe on him. So we'll, we'll see where he ends up and whether he regrets swiping right on Luciano Leilua. Yeah, Shooter gave it to him, didn't he? He's like, he doesn't even have a team. Yeah, he did it. And that is that is the worst Kiwi accent I've ever, I've ever heard. But uh, oh, that was I was not trying. I can't do any accents, mate. Yeah, probably best not to try them on this show, so we don't get ourselves in strife. <laughs> but we'll we'll stick at Netstrata. We're going to do the charity shield here. The bunnies and the dragons now. Be I know you got off your chair after the draft. Head straight down to Ticketek to join the queue. I think I'll be there with you after beating the dragons twenty eight to six in the charity shield for grand final tickets now. Uh, we'll start with some news. Uh, Cameron Murray, so congratulations to him and Miranda on the arrival of baby Avalon Grace. So that'll mean he will be on the plane to the US. He looked very sharp. So, you know, from me, if you plan to take him, I say carry on. But from what I gather, he's someone you're looking at quite heavily. So I was talking about potentially doing it, uh, I think it was just after the draft in the Talking League chat. I was saying that, oh, Cam Murray's a good shout, I reckon, like, Save yourself 100k off for Payne Haas. Shore up one of those mids. Yeah, he's got around seven by. Um, and me getting Cam Murray means I got rid of Tavita Totola, so I don't have that dual Rabbitohs mid. Um, and then a couple of days later, fast forward, he's playing and he's got the offload back. He looks sharp. He's bending the line. I just I loved watching him play, honestly. And he's right now my vice captain. He's He's got the first game in Vegas, so you got your vice out of the way. 
um, in case something happened to Nico and I needed to trade out of that million-dollar player. Um, so it works out absolutely perfect for me, and I recommend... I probably... Oh, I don't want to call it, but I think he can average the same as Haas if he plays that 70-plus minute role. There's definitely a world where he does, and I think a player that will help him in that regard is Sean Kepi, who just... What a player. As I said in our notes, which of course all the notes for all the games are available on Facebook and I believe Instagram as well, so do check those out. If you have any questions, we can try and clarify those for you. But as a South fan, I was pretty low-key excited when Kepi was coming across because I just love the way he goes about it. With the Burgess boys kind of at the end of their dynasty at Red Firm, we needed a play that brings the noise in the middle, and I feel like he will be perfect for not only Cam Murray, but Damien Cook, and as well as outside backs because he'll just get in, do that hard stuff and make it quite easy for those players, a little bit more ball-playing ability to get in and do their jobs. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't go near him in a fantasy context because he does have a game where he'll get a fair few missed tackles because he's just going for that impact as opposed for that stat because Sean Kepi, I don't think, is a player that would play fantasy because I don't think the numbers matter to him. It just matters whether his team wins or not. But he was quite nice. Tavita Totola, I thought, looked pretty sharp as well. Compared to what we saw last year, didn't appear to be ha- have any injuries hindering him this year. And for me, look, I don't go too much on the metrics from his performance. But if you had him slotted in, I would continue to hold him. And for me, I've got him, which is probably why Murray's not so much it for me. But is there a world where you can have both of them? Because round seven is somewhat of a distance away. There is a chance that we might lose to Toller or Murray before then if they don't perform as well as we'd like. Yeah, I... I had to shore up another position, which is why Tatola had to go, and it was for Tupanua. So, because I could see them essentially averaging the same, and I needed that extra 60k. Um, I think there's a world where you can have them both as long as you've got enough mid cover, and a lot of people will because they'll have those guys like potentially Tupanua's or Josh Curran's on the bench who can slot into both mid or the edge. Um, Sam Hughes is going to be there as well uh, in a lot of people's teams. So, uh, there's a world where you can do it. The other part of it is, how long do you hold Totola? If he's scoring, like, you know, low 40s, he's going to probably make his money by round seven and then plateau out. So in that case, you just move him on and you hold Cam Murray. Yeah, exactly. Or even if he has, like, a maximum of 50K to be made when he gets his average match to what his magic number price is, you could then certainly move him on at that point as well. So I don't have a massive issue with it as well. Plus, by about round seven, we should have our team values above 12 million, which was very achievable last year. It may not be this year, but you'll... Team value will be high. Of course, a lot of that will be retaining your cash cows going up, but there is a chance that you've sold a few of those, so you've actually got more depth to be able to cover those players. So, player who's currently depth at the moment, Peter Mamazelis, he was very, very good. I beat. The Dragons weren't too flash, but we'll just keep him uh, in the black book in case anything ever happens to Cook. And a player that, well, probably wasn't as impactful as he would have hoped was uh, Talis Duncan. Uh, he was put on report, appears to have escaped the charge from the rap sheet that I had a look at earlier, so... Again, he's just going to be on the bench. Uh, no expectation of playing any edge, so we can probably let him slide through. But B, got some scary news. Jai Gray, he looked incredible out of fullback, which is great for South Sydney, but the bad news, he's a Queenslander. <laughs> yeah, he came off the bench, didn't he? Because it was um, Jacob Gagai who started, and then he came, he came on, and he, he looked unreal. So, yeah, it's, it's, everything's there, just incredibly electric fullback. Um, I, th- I think a lot of electric fullbacks actually came out in these trials and they're just trying to make their stamp. And I feel like he's one of the only ones who did it with uh, a bit of style about it as well. Like we just w- finished watching the uh, Dolphins one and it, uh, what was his name? Trey Fuller. 
I thought yeah. he, was, he looked quite electric, but still the decision-making was quite poor, where I don't think that was the case with Jai Gray. No, because he spent most of his juniors playing in the halves. There you go. Which I think rolling him out at one is probably a smart idea if he does get a debut this year, which I wouldn't rule out because he's just, you know, he's quite small, which makes it hard to defend against those big players. So if you can keep the defensive workload off him and get him inserted for playmaking, could be an interesting one. But again, probably not early in the season. I wouldn't expect him to be there in uh, round one. Look, he might make the flight to Vegas, but I wouldn't expect him to be in the 17. Now, rolling across to the Dragons. Zach Lomax on the wing, I don't think that's going to work well for fantasy in terms of if you wanted to pick him, which is unfortunate for anyone who got him in draft, which wasn't me, so no problems there. But this could work out well. It could be 2023 repeated, but on uh, a boost. Because if he gets named on the wing, gets center, uh, center wing of fullback duel in round one, we can tick that off. If he put, scores poorly on the wing and then Flanner goes, hang on a sec, this is the best way to use one of my best players, I'll throw him back at right center and... Booty goes elsewhere. There could be scope for picking him up at you know 501k like I did last year, and we all get an absolute fill up. Well, mate, the the flip side on that, and yeah, I think you're going to the next point as well, is that if they do that, Jack Bird's going to be the guy who makes way. And where would Jack Bird go? The edge. So all of a sudden, Jack Bird got named at centre in round one. He gets the edge centre duel, and then all of a sudden, at some stage, you've got a better centre that you can aim for later on. So I think that's the the best world that we can hope for in those positions. Um, but yeah, I think Zach Lomax, he was managing a bit of an injury, which is why he didn't spend that much time at fullback as well. So just, yeah, I, this is another one that I don't understand. I, he's not a winger. He's not a finisher like that. He, it's the, the flick passes that he had for his wingers that made him quite, quite a threat. Um, and the only thing I can think of is that he's getting put at the back there to work on his footwork to help him be a better centre later on. Yeah, potentially it's just trying to fit Jack Bird into the start, in starting 13 somewhere because he's that talented, you do need him in there somewhere. And Moses sully has been relatively consistent at the Dragons uh, put, whilst put he's Bird been... Put six, honestly, that's what I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on the six in a, in a moment. But yeah, Bird was very, very good in the way he played, which he'll score quite well at centre if he plays there, gets the duel, that'll be quite handy. Like you said, Lomax was dealing with back spasms, hence his performance probably wasn't as optimal as we expect on the wing. Heading to the six, Kyle Flanagan, directing traffic quite well from first receiver, but that doesn't translate necessarily well to fantasy scores. After 20 minutes, he was on zero. He had no kick meters, and Ben Hunt had all of them. Now, is this a good case study for seeing what happens in the second trial? Because, of course, new coach, new team, up against a team that I know finished ninth last year but does have the capability to finish in the top four. It was just a bad day at the office for the Dragons and we need to have another look before round one? Yeah, definitely need to have another look because apart from Drew Hutchison, if he even gets the role, mate, there is no cash cow halves in here, apart from maybe KO Weeks, but everyone's playing him in wing fullback anyway. Uh, So currently and reluctantly after that trial, I still have Kyle Flanagan in my team. And I will probably move heaven and earth to find an extra 30k to get Drew Hutchison if if Drew Hutchison gets that job. Yeah, I've got both in my team at the moment. But again, it's more just placeholder at those prices more than I yeah. want four halves in my team plus KO weeks. So yeah, just one to monitor. You know, as we put in the notes, he might be a swerve for some coaches. And I think that's perfectly fine if you have confidence that Hutchinson will get the pick or you've got a setup where you've got three really good halves and you don't need one on the bench because none of them have buys early. That's fine. But I feel like you'd want that third one there with Cleary having a buy in round six or Heinz five, depending on how you set your team up. 
We're moving to Sunday, so we'll get to Christchurch, where, of course, Rich and Seabulls were there in attendance to see the Tigers win 1816. Now, we will preface this by saying Zion Mayu was sent off in the 19th minute for a pretty bad contact on Declan Casey. Hopefully, he's okay because he was stretched off. Uh, again, no malice from Zion. It was just kind of one of those ones where he didn't lower his uh, contact zone and he collected Casey quite poorly. So, yeah, hope all's well there. Now, we'll get the Warriors. We'll start in the black book section. Jacob Lovin, uh, 230K, of course. He was outstanding, a 65 point, probably one of the only scores I take any attention of this week. He's had a big try on it. At this stage, we need some injuries to happen before he becomes relevant. But he's just 19, so look for him to pop up somewhere as well because, of course, Dimitri Sifakula is recovering from an ACL, so he's probably slightly higher up the depth chart than he was last year. In the middle forwards, we had Bunty Arfoa and Tom Arle work their proverbial socks off, basically going at a PPM. They're both players that if the minutes pop up, if there was, say, to be an injury or a scale back of someone's minutes, they could benefit. But at this stage, we're probably going to have to wait and see on that. Because at this stage, B, that Warriors pack, it looks pretty stacked with Egan potentially playing 80 every week. Yeah, exactly right. And you look at the quality forwards they've got. They've got Barnett. They've got Adam Fanua Blake. They're back rowers. You got, oh, we've got Murata Nia Corey who can come off the bench and do both. Toe Harris is a big minute player. Capewell's there. Like this, it's it's similar to the Roosters, where there's there's so many decent name mouths to feed that it's like, well, where are these other guys going to get the minutes from? So, um, yeah, ones to watch, but no no one to really start with for round one. Yeah, I, I feel like I thought if there was to be an injury, say to an AFB or a Toe, and of course I hope neither of them get injured because I enjoy watching both of them play, but. He's a player that can pack on cash pretty quickly because he can go at a PPM, even playing up to 55 minutes. And if he did that for three, four weeks, he could stack on 100K pretty, pretty quickly. Now, the other players we'll have a look at the outside backs. So RTS uh, did the fundamentals well at left center, which is probably where he's going to play uh, this season. Really good purchase in the tackle. So probably some coaching from rugby unions come into his league game. He looks quite good. But at that price, he's only going to be a draft option. And uh, Ali Leotaua, uh, he was really good. At right centre. Now, yeah. we would love for him to get named B, but surely it's going to be one of Rocco Berry or Adam Pompey in that other right centre spot come round one. Yeah, you would think so, but I also don't think that um, Andrew Webster's scared to make those kind of decisions uh, where if you're good enough, you're old enough kind of thing. So, you know, if he gets that spot, he is, you know, he, I would I would cash down from Will Penasini to get Lautau. Sorry, I can't pronounce his name, but... Um, I'll call him Prince Ali. Um, I would take him, save myself 280k, and go somewhere else. Yeah, definitely, because you'll get the dual position. He's currently only listed at winger fullback, 300k. So you would take him round one, and you just take the gamble and see what happens there. Because as we know, Keanu Kinney's going to be out round one. So there'll be scope somewhere for him to be of value. Now, speaking of buys early on, the Tigers. Quite a few interesting assets here, and we'll go through them. So starting with the Black Bookers as well, Sione Fainu, so not Samuel Fainu, Sione Fainu, 43 points uh, in his time on the field, so one just to keep in mind if he ever gets a decent opportunity from the bench. Stefano Atukamanu, he was pretty good in his small stint, so again, another one, we just want to wait and see how he goes. Probably just a solid asset in draft like last year. Apicorosau. Uh, he kicked goals, which, again, tanks Caesar's value, if there was any value, which I was always the opinion that there never was. So he's now 608k, Coruscant. So he's probably underpriced if he's going to take the goal kicking. But, B, can we take the gamble on a red dot that's at that price? 
Yes and no, uh, depending on how much depth you've got. And normally, from my 18 through 21, I will never spend more than 300 grand. I just It's just a, a rule that I don't do because you've got to have your cash cows and what better way to have them where they can sit in the emergencies and just make you cash while you're getting the scores from other players. Currently, I'm running Reed Marnie, and with Appy now kicking goals, I'm like, well, if I can come up with an extra 12 grand somewhere, like downgrading someone, I think I... I think I'd take Appy over Reed right now. Although both both looked really, really good, and I think I'd have to watch a second trial. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it could just be a draft asset, which is great for me because I've got him in all the drafts that I'm currently in. But a player that may be worth, or two players that might be worth uh, sticking as a red dot round one, uh, Alex Seifarth, who's 359K, and Asu Kapoa, AJ Kapoa, who's 340K. Kapoa probably wasn't as flash because, well, he didn't score a trial like Seifarth did. And he had a few more missed tackles. But depending on where John Bateman lines up, one of these players is probably going to be a goer, aren't they? Yeah, I um, I think it's going to be safe, Arth. I think Kapoor will be on the bench and will make him irrelevant. We'd love it for it to be Kapoor because he's center. And yeah. for 340K, you just stick him on your bench and you, you just run two 250K centers for round one. And then you got your back rower who can do round two. But... Yeah, I think it's going to be John Bateman on the edge. That's where he's played pretty much all of his career. Even though he did a hybrid role last year, most of it was on the edge. So I think that's going to be the case. And I think um, I think Safarth will be in the middle. And I, I quite like him, to be honest. I think he'll... I don't know if he's going to be fantasy relevant as much just because of the round one buy. Um, but he could be one to, you know, correct yourself if one of your mid-rangers hasn't really worked out in the first round. Yeah, definitely. And he's not too expensive. So if you do decide to red dot him in round one, well, then yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt you too much because you only have two games and probably six, seven players out of the way. So you know, you'll have a bit more of an idea as to what you're doing. Isaiah Papali'i, who is priced at 716K this year, he was just rock solid, uh, played just a half, 33. So he's a player that after round two, we can have a look at and trying to buy because he's probably priced at what you expect. But the thing is, between round two and 26, there's only one round he misses, and that's round 13, which... I think, B, this year the Tigers are going to be quite relevant over these buys. Yeah, I'm, I've am i been high on Isaiah Papali the whole preseason. I think he's going to find his form again. Uh, what side did he play on? Did he play on the left? Played on the right. So he played on the right, yeah, which is where yep. we always wanted him from last year. Yes. Um, so I think he's a red-hot crack. The only thing is, is that the same as last year, we're spoiled for mid-range edges. So, so many people are going to be running the likes of one of the Roosters' edges, Pia Kura, Josh Curran, Sean Bloor, Sean Lane, um, whoever potentially gets the edge spot at Newcastle. There's just so much more that you can then spread your cap out elsewhere and not have to take the risk and maybe work up towards a Papali'i. So, not a round one buy, but if he starts firing in that first two rounds, mate, I think you're going to have to start highly considering him. Yeah, absolutely, because it's round 13 was the only match you'll miss as long as you think it's spend injured, which, as we know, with the major buy rounds, it's pretty easy to budget for those eight to nine plays that aren't going to play, especially when we should have a plethora of edges. So rolling to the next game up in Mackay from today, when we're recording this, of course, on Sunday, Cowboys against the Broncos. The Broncos winning 46 to 20, which was expected with the varied experience in these two sides. So... My only real note on the Cowboys was Kulikefu Finefeyaki. He ran quite well, scored a nice try where he beat about three or four defenders for a score of 53. But at this stage, we're going to expect Nanai and Helam Luki to get those roles, aren't we? Yeah, 100%. Luki's in my team right now uh, for that Luciano Leilua departure, and I think he's the first in, ro- in line to get that left edge spot. 
definitely highly regarded as well. It was in that 30-man Queensland summit that they held a couple of weeks ago, which again shows how highly he's regarded. The other thing to keep in mind as well is that Luki and Finnefiaki are currently both off contract come November 1. Dolphins are circling quite hard, and I feel like they'll probably end up getting one of those. I feel like Finnefiaki probably will be the one to go just because he's originally, well, he grew up in Ipswich, which of course is an awful lot closer to where the Dolphins play than where the Cowboys are, and I think Luki uh, is probably slightly bit higher regarded at this point. So interesting to see how that one plays out. We'll move to the Broncos where Fair bit happened. So Selwyn Cobbo, he was quite good at left center. I felt combined well with Walshie. Nice catch for his second try as well. Yeah, just a nice one in draft. Probably wouldn't worry about him in classic because of his price. Now, Bernard Piacura, uh, it was looking amazing for him and maybe not so much now. He got a double running off some great passes from Renault and Madden. And, you know, as we expect, he's one that you just slot in in round one if he's available, but B, we've been alerted to the fact that he left the ground with a knee brace on his left knee. So NRL physio at this stage said there's no information as to whether it's precautionary, but it's cause for concern. Now, is it just a relief that the Broncos play in Vegas so we know whether we'll have him or not? I think so, and I think the information will come out before um, before it becomes a critical time where you can't make a decision. So he's 400k, Uh you know, just it's essentially watch this space. If he's playing, then you buy him. If he's not named round one, then potentially not, or have him as a red dot until we work out what the injury is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was on about fifty when he came off the field, which I think was just before half time, which you know, he's a great line runner. He will score tries. You know, don't expect him average fifty, but he'll make you some cash and everyone will have him, so just block that one off. Pain ass, he certainly wasn't at full speed, couple of errors for him early on, but did listen to the interview he had with Fox League after the game. He did point out it was quite a slow track because there's been quite a fair bit of rain in that sort of central Queensland region over the last few days. So I wouldn't take too much out of his performance out of that. He was well below a PPM, but he was just blowing the cobwebs out, so not much to worry about there. In terms of his starting prop partner, though, B, this is probably where it gets interesting. So Corey Jensen, he was pretty solid. He just did what Corey Jensen does, does the job, playing it quite safe. Maybe a little bit of value there, but not an awful lot if he ends up starting. But Fletcher Baker, he's an interesting one because there was some news from Peter Bedell in the Courier Mail this week that indicated that Baker has the inside running to start, which, again, it's not Roxologist yet. But he looked all right in his first couple of carries. Got himself a tackle bust and an offload very early on. And I think we're probably going to need to see some more energy for him in the second trial if we're going to consider him for round one, right? Yeah, and I think, again, if you sp- if you spend up a tiny bit on Fletcher Bakey, you can get guys who potentially are starting like your two Panuas or spend up even a hundred grand to get a Totola, who you know is going to be a quality mid-ranger, where there's so much unknown with Fletcher Baker on where he's going to play and what his role is going to be. Even if, like, so, didn't there an article come out that said he was going to be basically taking the Flegler role? And if, even if that's the case, think about it. Flegler only averaged, like, in the, like, mid-30s, I think it was, 30 Five thirty-six. It gives Fletcher Baker good value to make you some money, but is he going to fill it the same way as Flegler does? I'm not so sure that he does. Yeah, potentially he might be slightly less aggressive, so there might be a few less missed tackles, a few less sim bins, so he might drop down from a 27% sim bin rate <laughs> and be a little bit more consistent. But, you know, I've liked what I've seen with Baker when he got the opportunity at the Roosters. Like, he's definitely got the ability to be a 0.95 to 1 PPM player. So if he started, there's no stopping him averaging high 30s, let alone 40s. And if he did that, you know, for five, six rounds, we could probably move him on. But 
at this stage, we'll just wait and see how he goes in this second trial. Yeah, because if his name to start, that might get us a little bit more excited. But yeah. plenty of options in that price bracket. Right, yeah, we'll move into the last game on the sunny coast. The Dolphins took on a very understrength Titans and eventually got over them to win 26 to 14. So for the Titans, probably not too much to buy into. So we might start with them first. Uh, so I'll give myself a pat on the back first for the cashies that I mentioned in the preview for the Titans. I put up Tony Francis, a guy that we want to keep an eye on, and he had two beautiful finishes uh, contested in the corner. Average, well, I say average, he scored 54 points and didn't play the entire game. I think the thing for him is he's quite a long way down the depth chart. We've got Sammy and Olofiana Camperere should be the starting wingers come round one. Jojo Feet is probably in front of him. Harley Smith-Shields is also probably in front of him. But at some point this year, B, if, say, one of them got injured or their form was quite poor and Francis came in, from the profile we saw with him being so big, got the tackle bus, got the finish, and he would be he someone that we could potentially take a gamble on and make some quick cash in three, four weeks? I would only take the gamble after I watch him for one game, at, mi- at obviously minimum. I would not take him sight unseen. Um, perfect example is TK's mate, Zach Sini. Everyone <laughs> jumped on him from one game. And to me, it was just like, no, let's just wait a second game because he's an outside back. It's so fickle on what they can do. And then obviously he just crapped the bed everywhere and coaches were left with a terrible haircut as their 21st man. So I think you, you wait one, two dates maybe if he's playing as wing. Also noting what kind of schedule he's got. If they're playing Panthers and Broncos or something like that back to back, then you might want to wait and see how he goes there. Yeah, definitely. And Zaxine is a great example because if coaches waited one week, in hindsight, they would have been able to get Reese Walsh slightly above base price when he looked very high potential in terms of putting some cash on. Another player for the Black Book is Josiah Paulu, who was very impressive. Got a couple offloads out, very dangerous in contact. But much like Tony Francis, too far down the pecking order in the middle forward rotation because they have some absolutely gun young middle forwards. They've got Tino, Fasu Malawi. They've obviously got Mo Fodawaka. You've then also got some pretty tidy players coming from other clubs. Like Palisade will do a job. We know for fantasy, he's probably not going to be a PPM monster. You've also got the likes of uh, Isaac Liu. You've got Jamin Joloff, who's actually back available this year. So again, you're going to have to be patient on someone like him. And with a round two buy, we're not going to be taking any risks there. We'll roll into the Dolphins, who, as I said, were not that flash for most of this game. But they played the Titans in their first trial last year and were also quite terrible and got put got 40 put on them so at least they actually won this time a beat against a weaker side so Herbie Tharnworth he rolled up at right center in the first half played a little bit of fullback in the second half and a nice try for him in the first half of a double pump from Isaiah Katoa he wasn't incredible but still jagged 50 which makes me think B once round three buys out of the way if you decide to go aggressive in center he might be the guy to go for yeah, it could be, uh, but yeah, the buy schedule after round three, if that's if that's who you got your sights on, it's probably the one for me. Um, I thought I thought he was quite good. Uh, just looked like he, he just looked big and strong, center plus quite athletic. Um, I didn't get to watch the second half, so I didn't actually know he'd gone to fullback. But you know, that's obviously not going to happen in the real games. I think he's just getting him reps there in case Hammer potentially goes down or whoever plays fullback. Um, but yeah, I think he. I think he's going to be one of the highest scoring centers of the, of the year. 
Yeah, definitely. And the ability to play all three major buy rounds, being an Englishman, uh, will be quite useful. But of course, that round 14 buy, let's not forget about that one. Now, Jake Avarillo, he came off the bench and initially he looked uh, pretty subpar. But once he actually got a bit of space, he was able to do some damage and got a few TBs and an offload out and probably should have put Jack Bostock away for two tries instead of just the one. He butchered one of them. But I don't think Jesse knew was that impressive, so potentially he may usurp him in round one. But with a buy in round three, both these players probably just going to be swerves, aren't they? I agree. Um, if one of them was to get the right centre role at um, inside of Sarko, I think that changes the conversation. But since Herbie was out that side, um, the left ed- the left edge of the Dolphins doesn't not interest me. No, and Jack Bostock, he scored a nice try, but again, scored mid-30s, which is probably what his best is. That round three buy makes it hard to build up on the cash. Like, he's only priced at 22.3, but we're going to have some better winger fullback options there. Moving into the edge back row slot. So Ewan Aiken, uh, initially he was filling up the stat sheet uh, quite impressively at left edge. He then moved across to the right when Felice uh, went to the showers. So... It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because Lemuelu came off the bench, scored a nice try, albeit when the Titans players are quite tired. But I don't think Ewan Aiken's going to play a large amount on an edge unless Kenny Bromwich is going to go in the middle. And can you see Kenny Bromwich starting the season in the middle, given they've actually got you know the likes of Flegler and some other fit players coming back? I, I see Kenny Bromwich coming off the bench. Uh, again, he's he's not a spring chicken. Uh, he, he also went to the middle... Um, at the back end of last year. So I think the spot is for that left edge is between Aitken and Lemuelu. Um, I don't think Bromwich is going to be playing there. Yeah, it remains to be seen. A bit of uncertainty there. And as well, that round three buy makes it pretty tricky because you basically have to take that punt at round one because you don't want to spend two trades on Aitken to get him in maybe after round three to find he's not going to play 80 on the edge and isn't that much better than those other edges because he's five 549. He's not base price. So just one to keep an eye on, but that'll wrap us up in relation to the trial notes. Now, as I mentioned before, head on to our socials. You'll see some pretty detailed notes that the team have put together across all those matches, maybe even covering some plays that we missed in a little bit more detail. So be sure to check those out if you haven't already. Now, favorite time of the week, B, accountability time. Have you made any moves uh, since we last met on Sunday? Mate, I feel like I've made a million moves and <laughs> only four of note have changed in yeah. the overall team because I keep on going back to certain original picks. So uh, I have taken out Brandon Smith. I have taken out Tavita Totola to, just for cash. Uh, I've taken out Reese Robson and I've taken out Sean Lane. This was all to facilitate me bringing in Cam Murray. Uh, so I essentially need to come up with about 240-odd grand to do that and I had to sacrifice little spots in different players so um i instead of uh uh, cheese and robson i've gone reed marnie and uh, joey lussick depending on who starts at Parramatta, obviously and if they're going to be an 80 minute hooker uh so yeah got rid of cheese tola robson and lane in is murray marnie lussick and i've brought in hylam lukey as well yeah i like the hylam lukey shout i haven't been able to fit him in just yet but i do plan to Come round one, I have made six changes and it was to accommodate Ruben Cotter, who I think is a player, as long as he starts, he'll be in my team and probably all the way to round 13 and we move him on. So the moves, I'll just go through them one by one because they're all sort of attached to just one position. So Angus Crichton out for Satili Tupanua because it looks like Tupanua's cheaper. We'll get the start. So pretty 
Much safe bet there. Tyron Munro, unfortunately, collarbone issue. He's out. So Keanu Kinney came in. That's another 70K freed up. Liam Knight and Drew Hutchison, about the same price. So flip them over. Sebastian Chris in for Masesi Suli. Now, the reason for that is if Ben Travojevic, who I've also brought in for Danny Levi, if he's a goer, I don't mind doing the little duo of Chris and Ben Travojevic for the first week and then flipping him over the second week for Ben to be some bench depth. Then also had enough cash then to move Josh Schuster up to Ruben Cotter. So still a fair few moving parts. I think Hill and Lukey is a player I'd definitely like to get in at some point. We'll just have to see what happens to Piakura. That could be the way there. Hopefully Piakura is all good to go. And then we'll also have to see what happens with Flano because there's still plenty of moving parts. Who, who's your centers then? If you're running, you're running Burbo, Chris on the bench. Penasini. You got Penasini as well. Yeah, you got Penasini. So nice. I I think Penasini and Chris is my optimal duo at this stage. We'll wait and see what happens with this Suali'i situation in relation to Dom Young. That might change to open up some more cash because all going well, if that happened, then maybe I could go Penasini down to Suali'i and then I'd have enough cash to move Flano up to Helam Lukey. Hutcho is my third half and... You know, that would all marry up. But as we know, in Fantasyland, Brenton, it doesn't always line up like that, does it? No. It certainly doesn't, folks. And uh, that will be where we leave it today on the Fantasy Game Plan. So we'll be back next Monday morning after week two of the preseason challenge. We'll, of course, also have the World Club Challenge. So we'll see how the Penrith Panthers boys go in that over in England. So... This week, it's just going to probably be the one podcast. I believe the Wilds Weekly Boy is going to be doing a behind-closed-doors hit-out. I don't know whether they'll make the podcast feed. If it does, it'll probably be out Tuesday morning. Otherwise, it'll be TK with some TLT analysis. I highly recommend listening to that because he goes through the emphasis on the players that are potential traps because they're having an inflated opportunity due to it being trials. But that'll do us for now. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.